<laughs> How y'all doing? Good. Um, you know what? Take a moment to look around you. Uh, our church isn't just uh, multi-ethnic. It's intergenerational. Right? We have about four generations uh, of families here, and I, I think that's such a beautiful thing. Let's give a hand to the Lord. Amen. Amen. I wish, I wish you could come up here, and I wish you could preach and look at all your beautiful faces. <laughs> but Pastor Corey and I have the honor of, of seeing your faces, and so that's a, that's a gift to us. Uh, let me open up with a word of prayer. Lord, uh, we thank you for gathering us uh, this Sunday afternoon to hear your word, Lord, the word that you have prepared for us, Lord. Uh, we are not here by mistake, but your sovereign hands brought us here. And so, God, we just pray in the name of Jesus that you would open up our minds, that you would open our ears, that you would open our hearts, that we may be able to receive the truth, Lord, that you want to speak to us, Lord. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are convicted. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are transformed. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that hardened hearts are broken. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for gathering us, Lord, as a community of believers. Lord, it is your death and resurrection that brings us together. And so, Lord, we give you praise. All of this is for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, today we began a new sermon series through uh, the book of Acts, and we're actually only going to go through the first eight chapters of Acts, uh, and I hope that you're as excited as Pastor, uh, Pastor Corey and I are, uh, because we feel that uh, the book of Acts, it has some really valuable and important lessons that we can take away uh, as a church from the apostles and the early church, right? The early church, they were spirit-led, right? They were devoted to prayer. They were missionally effective, right? They were bold. They were lovers of Jesus. They were committed to the church, and they suffered well, right, for the name of Jesus. They utilized every member of the body to carry out the Great Commission, our hope and prayer is that through this sermon series, the Holy Spirit will cultivate in our hearts the readiness, the readiness to follow in the footsteps of the early church. So now before we jump into our text, uh, let me quickly give some context for the book of Acts. Uh, Luke is the, is the author of both the Gospel of Luke and Acts, and both books are really like a, a two-part volume. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke, he covers Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. And in the book of Acts, Luke, he deals with all that Jesus continues to do and teach through the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. So with that, let's jump into our reading. Our text comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, Acts chapter 1. Verses 1 to 11. And I think this is confirmation that, um, you know, the Lord uh, desired or wants me to preach this message. If you, you know, where's Susan? Yes, there we go. She just quoted uh, uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. 
And that's the verse I'm going to be focusing on today. Yeah, so... Oh! <laughs> well, let's give praise to the Lord anyway. Amen? <laughs> it was confirmation for me. <laughs> All right. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Acts 1, verses 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus... I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by, this, by, by, this, by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. I have something to confess. During the early stages of my courtship with Esther, we talked on the phone almost every day. <laughs> yeah, I know you guys like it, right? <laughs> In fact, uh, I think we talked on the phone almost every minute we were apart. All right, this is kind of embarrassing, but it's true. All right, on my way to pick her up for a date, I'd ring up Esther, and I, you know, I, honestly, I'd want to hear her voice. So I'd be like, hey, Esther, you know, I can't wait to hang out with you. <laughs> And after I'd drop her off from a date, after spending like nearly the whole day with her, right, I'd ring her up again on my, on my way home, and I'd call her. I'd be like, hey, Esther, I miss you already. When can I see you again, right? <laughs> and while I'd be driving to meet up some friends, I'd have her on the phone, and I'd tell her, baby girl, I wish you were going with me. <laughs> uh, it's true, okay? You can ask her. I, I know this is making some of you guys cringe, but it's, <laughs> it's making me cringe as I'm listening to this. <laughs> but I loved talking to Esther on the phone. All right, if, if she has like the sweetest voice. I, I just love talking to her on the phone. Well, on this one particular day, I was on the phone with Esther, and I was driving down 6th Street in Koreatown, and I was stopped at a red light, and I was talking with Esther. Okay, I was talking with Esther on the phone, and to the lane next to me, to my left, there was this big old truck. Okay, there was this big old truck, 
And as I was looking at the signal, when it turned green, I accelerated, and I came out a couple feet into the intersection, and boom, just like that, I got sideswiped by a car that was running a red light. I never saw the car coming, right, because from my left, the truck, it was blocking my view, right? And if you're thinking it's my fault because I was on the phone, shame on you, (laughs) all right, shame on you, because I I had my headphones on, (laughs) But the accident, it, was, it wasn't too bad, so I was able to move my car out of the intersection. And once I gathered myself, hung up the phone with Esther, I approached the other driver to make sure he was okay. All right, so I go up to him, and he gets out of his car, and he says to me, Hey, let's take care of this out of insurance. Right, and so I said, Sure. Okay, thinking that he didn't have insurance. But the next thing he says to me is, So do you want to pay me cash? Right? So... I look at this guy thinking, boy, you tripping, right? (laughs) And I said, excuse me, sir, but you just ran the red light, right? And he says, oh, really? I ran the red, right? And I can feel things escalating real quick. And so before I was about to roundhouse kick this guy in the head, right, I said, let's take care of this with our insurance. And so we exchanged information, and I left, and the insurance company, they they began their... um, their, their investigation, and a couple days later, I went back to the site of the accident. I was looking for cameras, right, at the, at the cross-section, at the intersection, to show proof that this guy ran the red light, but they had none, and so I went to the local coffee shop on the corner, right, and I asked if they had a secure, security camera outside, but they had none, right, and the only witness to the scene of the accident was me and this other guy, this other driver. It was his word against mine, Right? Yet our witness had no power. Our testimony had carried no weight. I needed powerful evidence to confirm that my account of the accident was true. Witness is an important concept in the gospel, isn't it? Witness. Before Jesus' ascension, he says to his disciples, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And to the ends of the earth you will be my witnesses. But notice what qualifies the disciple to become witness is not in hearing Jesus' teaching. It's not in simply seeing Jesus during his earthly ministry and witnessing his miracles. Right? Remember Judas... Judas did that. He sat with Jesus. He was part of the circle that exercised demons and healed the sick. He witnessed Jesus raise people from the dead. Judas, he not only witnessed Jesus' ministry, but he also took part in it. Right? Remember what Jesus says early on in his ministry in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Right? That's Jesus. Jesus saying those words. And we know what happened to Judas. He betrays Jesus and he hangs himself. Judas, he... He was a witness to Jesus' ministry, but he sure wasn't qualified to be a, ministry, a witness for Jesus. See, what qualifies a witness for the ministry of Jesus Christ is the power of the Holy Spirit. 
In verse 4, Jesus commands his disciples not to leave Jerusalem. Then in verse 8, Jesus says, there you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So in the Gospel of Acts, as we see, as we go through this study, we'll see that witnessing always begins with Holy Spirit empowerment. Witnessing always begins with Holy Spirit empowerment. So the question for us is this. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Right, that Jesus mentions. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? We'll look at this in greater detail when we get to chapter 2. But let me make a, a couple of comments of what I believe it is and what I believe it is not. Okay, first, being baptized with the Holy Spirit, it isn't the same as conversion. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as conversion. We know that the disciples, they were already Christians, right? They were already Christians. They placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They believed in Jesus' death and resurrection and his saving grace. These apostles, they were already converted, and they had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul, he says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Right? So when you and I place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God it unites us to the headship of Christ so that we are part of His body, so that we are part of His church. Holy Spirit baptism isn't the same as being united with Christ into the body by the work of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is when a believer receives a special anointing. A special anointing and power for ministry to effectively carry out God's great commission. To carry out God's great commission. In Acts 1, we see Jesus commanding his disciples to go to, to stay in Jerusalem, to wait there for the promise of the Father where they, where they would receive power by the Holy Spirit. This power, it would anoint them to carry out the gospel to the most outer parts of the world. And from this passage, we can see that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it points to the fact, it points to the fact that the advancement of God's kingdom cannot happen by sheer will or human power. The advancement of the gospel, it can't happen by our human efforts. It happens only in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see the manifestation of, of that all throughout the book of Acts. Right? In Acts 4, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he speaks with boldness and wisdom, and he amazes the religious leaders because they know Peter has no formal theological training. Right? And in the same chapter, the disciples, they're praying, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the place where they're praying, it shakes mightily. And they began pro proclaiming the word of God boldly. In Acts 6 and 7, Stephen, the deacon, full of the Holy Spirit and full of God's power, he performs signs and miracles. And the religious leaders who try challenging him can't keep up with Stephen's wisdom, so they end up seizing him. They arrest him by force. And consequently, we know that Stephen, he gives them a long theological and history lesson on the Jewish faith and the validity of Jesus' messiahship, 
which ultimately gets him stoned. And yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he prays for them, for the forgiveness of their sins. In Acts 9, Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, at his, at his conversion, is empowered to speak with power and conviction that the Jews, so with, with such power and conviction that the Jews in Damascus, they're bewildered. They're amazed of his transformation. Right? In Acts 11, Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, he brings a great number of people to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 13, Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, he rebukes Elimus, the sorcerer who tries to get a mob after him. And Paul, in the power of the Holy Spirit, he strikes him blind. Right, so from Acts alone, from Acts alone, we can see that being baptized with the Holy Spirit is when a person of faith in Jesus Christ, a person who is already a part of the body receives a special anointing and power for the ministry. That is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now let me pose uh, some questions that may be true to you as you're, as you're hearing all of this. What if I don't want to be a witness? What if it's not in my blood to be an evangelist? Right? What if, what, if I, what if it makes me uncomfortable sharing the gospel? What if I get nervous? What if my friends hate me? What if I get ostracized? Right? What if I mess up and taint the name of Jesus while I'm sharing the gospel? What if I don't feel like I'm full of the Holy Spirit? If those are the questions you're asking as I'm talking, then you're on the right track. Okay? <laughs> Your posture is right. Because uh, take a moment with me to look at who Jesus' disciples were, who he was sending out. Just reading the names of those who were commissioned, it shows how incredible and even absurd Jesus' plan was by picking these particular individuals. Right, Peter, he was impulsive and he was hot-headed. He's my kind of guy. All right, (laughs) In John 18, we see Peter drawing his sword and cutting off the ear of a high priest servant. servant, right? He, he tries protecting Jesus from arrest. But think about that for a moment. <laughs> think about that. It's one thing to stab, to shank someone, right, with a forward motion. But it's, someone, it's something to cut someone's ear off, right, to cut someone's ear. It's not like Peter grabbed the guard by his ear and dragged him and said, I'm going to cut your ear off, right? That's not what he did. Right? you got to have crazy precision to do that. No, I think what Peter did was with a downward motion, he was probably trying to cut this guy's head off. Right? That was Peter. He was impulsive. He was hot-headed. Right? And Simon the Zealot. Right? Do you guys know who the Zealots were? Zealots? Zealots? They were rebels. Right? They were rebels who wanted to overthrow the Roman government by military force. They were revolutionary nationalists who were, who were willing to die to restore Israel's national sovereignty. They were terrorists in the eyes of the Roman government. Matthew, he was a tax collector. 
His kind was most despised, hated in the Jewish community. He was the Uncle Tom of his people. He had no backbone. He sold himself out. He extorted his own people with the power that was allotted to him by the Roman government. He was the most hated and considered unredeemable in the eyes of the Jews. Right? James and John, their nickname was with sons of thunder, right? The name says it all, sons of thunder. But notice, right, the, that the majority of these guys, they were Galileans, a region that was looked down upon by most Jews. Those in Jerusalem thought of Galileans as, as these, like, backward people who were uns- unsophisticated, right? They were quickly distinguished by their accent, their Galilean accent, and the moment they were recognized, they were often shut out and ignored. These were the disciples that Jesus chose to be his witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let me bring up Peter again. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what Peter was thinking and how inadequate he must have felt? As he heard Jesus charging him. Right, less than 50 days ago, he betrayed Jesus. He denied him not once, twice, but three times. He became so depressed that he left his community. He left the ministry and he went back to what he was most familiar with, which was fishing. Right, although Jesus restores him back into community life and restores their friendship, Peter was timid. He was most likely humbled by that whole experience of of, of deserting Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. And here's Jesus telling his disciples, they're going to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That they will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Do you feel a little better now? Right, the disciples, they weren't confident. Yet Jesus was. Just in the choosing of these men, it shows how confident Jesus was, not in them, but in the power of the Holy Spirit that would enable them to carry out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right, that would enable them to carry out this great commission to go to to all of Judea, Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So why does Jesus say power? Right? Why does he say that they will be clothed with power, that they will receive power? Why not eloquence right, or influence or gifts to do miracles or authority or money? Right? Because all of these things are, are somewhat important to do to carry out God's great commission, isn't it? At least for us it is. Right? They're all important things. Why does Jesus specifically say you will receive power? If we read verse 8, if we go back to verse 8, Jesus, he he describes the ministry of the apostles, right, to be a progressively expanding evangelistic effort that's not restricted to one people group, right? It's not restricted to one place. It's going to expand and it's going to grow. And from Acts chapter 2 to 7, we see that exact, we see that happening, 
we find the, 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 the disciples witnessing in Jerusalem. Then from Acts chapters 8 to 11, we find the disciples proclaiming the name of Jesus in all of Judea and Samaria. Then in Acts chapter 11 to the end of the book, we find the disciples advancing the gospel all the way to Rome. All the way to Rome. There's this element of growth. There's this element of movement. And this expansion, it doesn't happen by good preaching alone. It doesn't happen by performing wonders and miracles and having certain types of gifts. It doesn't happen by worship production. It can't happen by strong leadership and authority. This expansion of the gospel is the movement of hearts. Right? It's the movement of hearts. It's the conviction of hearts. And what can change the heart of man but God alone? Right? What can change the heart of a woman but God alone? God in his power, he uses broken vessels to soften the heart of man and to bring them to repentance. Right? There's no level of eloquence that can do that. Right? There's no heaven-shaking miracle that can do that. Just look at the religious leaders. Right? They, they were so stubborn. Right? They, they were confronted by Jesus. Yet, yet it's still their hearts weren't changed. They saw all of his miracles. Right? It's only the Holy Spirit that can do that through these ragtag apostles. It's only the Holy Spirit that can do that through broken vessels such as us. Right? Jesus, he says, Jesus says power because there's another force at work that's working through them to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. Something that's critical, that's very important for us to see is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit that clothes the apostles with power, it's not an experience from Christ. It's not an experience apart from Christ, but it's actually evidence of Christ in the life of the apostles. The baptism of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit. It's evidence that Jesus Christ is working in and through them, and through them, power is going to be given. And so through the life of the apostles, the Holy Spirit enables the apostles to powerfully continue in the ministry of Jesus Christ, convicting the hearts of its hearers. So here we are, in West Covina Christian Church some 2,000 years later, right? And we have some exciting ministry, evangelistic efforts underway. Our missions committee is, is working diligently to develop a strategy to mobilize church members for short-term missions. Our mercy and justice ministry is developing a guideline to not only help those who are in crisis situations, but to help rehabilitate and disciple individuals into the faith. Our CYA ministry is exploring ways to live out their faith outside the walls of the church. Our youth ministry right here is, is uh, preparing four of their very own youth to go out on missions to a Native American reservation to minister to abandoned and neglected children this summer. Right? There's no doubt that there are exciting movements going on here at West Covina Christian Church. 
But I believe the words of Jesus to his disciples, it needs to be heard here today. You see, we can have a biblical model of church leadership. Pastor Corey and I have been talking about that for the last couple months of moving towards an Ephesians 4 model of church leadership, right? But if, if that biblical model is not full of God's spirit, aren't we merely running an, an organization, right? Think about it. The role of an apostle is very much like an entrepreneur, the prophet is very much like the business strategist. The evangelist is very much like the communicator or spokesperson. The shepherd is very much like human resources. The teacher is very much like the systems thinker. Right? Without our leadership first being full of the Holy Spirit, if we move towards implementing Ephesians, the Ephesians 4 model of church leadership, we will be like any secular institution out there trying to create an efficient system of getting things done. Or take evangelism and outreach. We can have effective evangelistic strategies. But if it's not full of God's spirit, aren't we simply gathering people for social activities? Our evangelists, if not full of the Holy Spirit, can simply be recruiters who market the idea of Christian principles for your best life now. Right, let, me, let, me, let me be vulnerable with you for a moment. Okay? My preaching ske schedule, it goes something like this. Tuesday morning, I start my study of the scripture where I write down all my notes on the scripture. Of the scripture. Tuesday afternoon, I make a hand a printout of all the journal articles and commentaries that I think will be helpful. Wednesday morning and afternoon, I do, I do all of the reading from the printouts. And Wednesday night, I start making an outline in my head of the sermon. And Thursday morning, I write down a rough draft of that outline. And Thursday afternoon, I start writing word for word of what I think I need to say. Now, on Friday mornings, okay... <laughs> Pastor Corey and I, we go over each other's sermons. We go over each other's sermons, and almost every Friday, as the deadline for my first draft is fast approaching, I usually start to get a bit anxious. I usually get a little bit anxious because some Fridays, I'm not able to put together my first draft, while other times I am. But there's more than that that's happening within me as the days progress closer to Sunday. As Friday becomes Saturday, Saturday becomes Saturday night. Especially on Saturday nights when the hard deadline, right, of Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m. approaches, and I'm, I'm still not done with my manuscript, you know, feelings of inadequacy, it begins to weigh me down. My insecurities, it comes gushing out. My inner fears, it, it reveals thoughts that I'm not good enough, that I'm incompetent, that I have nothing to offer, that I'm not right in my relationship with God, that I'm not full of the Holy Spirit. And that's when I crawl back, I crawl to my wife. I, I crawl to my wife and I ask, what am I doing preaching? Right? What am I, am I supposed to be in the ministry? And usually Esther, she, she ignores me. <laughs> 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 <laughs 
Not always, but in this particular context. Because she's been hearing this from me every week for the past five years that we've been married. And so I'll sheepishly say it again. What am I doing preaching? I have nothing to say tomorrow. And because my wife, she's one to speak truth, right? She turns to me with a gentle smile. And she looks straight at me and she says, this isn't about you, Stephen. This is about God and his people. God will give you a word. He called you. So the word will come. And I kid you not, every time she utters those words, it's like hearing it for the first time. She's right, right? The Holy Spirit has already been given to me. It's a matter of shifting my attention away from my inadequacies and getting out of this posture of self-pity and bringing my focus to the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I'll typically do is I'll go to the church sanctuary right here on Saturday night and I'll pray, crying out to God to help me to look away from myself, to get rid of this self-pity and to look at Him. And I wait on the Lord. I wait on the Lord, and I kid you not, every single time I prostrate myself, crying to the Lord, God, I won't go out unless you tell me something. He gives me the word. It's odd, right? I've been doing this for nine stinking years, and still time and time again, I'm prone to lose sense of the power of the Holy Spirit that's been promised to me. Right? It's not a matter of asking for it. It's a matter of reaching for what's already there. The promise of the Holy Spirit that commissions me to go out and to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Right? So we all feel that sense of inadequacy. It's normal to do so, but what we must recognize is that the power is there for us to grab. The Holy Spirit is there for us to reach and to take hold of. So what are we to do to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Jesus, he says to his disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father. Right? And what do we see them do? They wait. They wait. They devote themselves to prayer and hold fast to every word of Jesus, waiting expectantly for the promise he spoke. And they extend their hands out, waiting eagerly for what's been promised to them. Then ten days later, there's an outpouring of God's Spirit. Right? Like the the disciples, we too must devote ourselves to prayer. We too must extend our hands, waiting eagerly, expectantly, knowing that God's promise is for us. You know, the way we know... The way we know whether we're we're living our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit or by self, by the power of the Holy Spirit or by self-sufficiency is by our prayer life. The way we know whether we're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit or whether we're walking in self-sufficiency is just look at your prayer life. It's that simple. Are you devoting yourselves to prayer? If so, then you're most likely walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. If not, 
then you're most likely walking in the power of self-sufficiency, which really isn't any power at all. Prayer, it aligns our heart with God's. Prayer aligns our will with God's. Prayer prepares our heart to receive the power and the anointing that comes from the Holy Spirit. It is prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Right, just 10 days before Pentecost, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, look at verse 6. We read that the disciples are still concerned about whether God would restore the kingdom of Israel. They're still thinking about their, their, their national sovereignty. Right, that's crazy. These disciples, that's the question that they're asking. Right, while Jesus is talking about all that he has done, how he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament laws and prophets and psalms, how they would receive power from on high, how they would be baptized by the Holy Spirit, they ask about the kingdom of Israel. But notice what happens just 10 days later. There's a 10-day gap between Jesus' ascension and, the, and, and Pentecost. During the 10 days, they were waiting and devoting themselves to prayer in the upper room, waiting for the promise of God. There, God transformed their heart and will to align with His. And after receiving the Holy Spirit, what does Peter do? He proclaims not the kingdom of Israel, right? But he proclaims the kingdom of God, bringing 3,000 people to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Prayer, Holy Spirit, and witness. Prayer, Holy Spirit, and witness. We too must devote ourselves to prayer. I know we just finished a, ser- a sermon series on, on fervent prayer, but Pastor Corey and I are not going to stop emphasizing this because it is only in prayer that our hearts are aligned with God. It is only in prayer that our hearts become ready to receive the power and anointing to do his ministry. It is only in prayer that we began doing the deeds of God. Right? We too must continue to depend on the Spirit for our witness, just as the early apostles. Right? The mandate, this great commission that the disciples heard to witness, it's still in full effect right now in 2018 here for West Covina Christian Church. Right at the end of Luke, Acts, Luke, he ends the story with the mention that Paul's preaching to all who came to him in Rome. Right, and that's how he ends the book. I think that Luke's reminder to us is that we're, to, we're also to fulfill the Great Commission. First by praying, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit, and sharing the gospel with everyone and with every opportunity that we get. Let me close with Jesus' words to his disciples. And take this to heart. You know, your ministry context looks different. It's not just in West Covina Christian Church that we're called to be ministers, but it's also in your workplace. It's also in your home. It's also in your friendships. It's also in the mission field. 
West Kobe in a Christian church. Wait for the promise of the Father. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in West Covina and in all San Gabriel Valley and Los Angeles and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Let me close with the word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have called us. Lord, that you have called us to be your witnesses. And Lord, you don't send us uh, expecting us to use our human resources, our, our, our own power or our will to accomplish the great commission. But Lord, you give us the gift of the power of the Holy Spirit. You anoint us, Lord, with this so that when we go out, Lord, we become missionally effective. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to pray, that you would teach us how to wait, that you would teach us how to devote ourselves to prayer, Lord Jesus, that you would teach us how to devote ourselves to deep prayer, Lord Jesus. Help us to humbly come before you, desperately seeking you, extending our hands, waiting with great expectation, knowing that the promise you have given to the apostles is also for us to receive. Lord, there are many of us, there are some of us who